Hello, Dunker Punks, and welcome to the new season of the podcast. Our theme for this new season is catharsis. Oxford Languages describes catharsis as the process of releasing and thereby providing relief from strong or repressed emotions. In this season in my life, as a young person, we are experiencing a world that seems to be falling apart. Our lives have been forever changed by COVID-19. Housing and education are getting more expensive while wages stay the same. We're seeing natural disasters, political and social unrest, and so much violence. Not to mention, we are watching our churches become divided and separating. It's a lot for us to carry. We need this catharsis. We need this relief from all of these emotions and to process all of the things that are happening around us with others, with others that we care about and love. Keep this theme in mind throughout the season as you're listening to upcoming episodes and really sit with this idea of catharsis and think about the process of releasing these emotions that we're feeling. In this episode, we will be starting this journey of discussing catharsis, starting with Annalisa Gross as she talks with three young people in Sacramento, California at Song and Story Fest. This is Annalisa Gross. I got to sit in the mountains of California with three young people and invite them to reflect on this season's theme, catharsis. I know you will enjoy where their hearts and minds went with it. Hi, I'm Micah. I'm from Bridgewater, Virginia. I'm Fiona. I'm from Oakland, California. And I'm Clara. I'm Fiona's older sister, and I'm also from Oakland. So when you think about all of the things that are wrong in the world today, pick one, or if that's too hard to, that makes you the most upset. How long do we have? (laughs) As long as you want. The thing that's really firing me up these days is um, the prison system and incarceration. Um, I got the opportunity to take a class my first semester of college that was in a prison with half incarcerated students and half students from my college. And it just really, we were talking about this this morning during morning gathering, it really opened my eyes to how how normal the people in prison are and how unjust it is that they're there and how many of them there are and how long they're there um, and just who who has the right to separate them from their lives and their people in the world. Um, so that's what's really yeah. firing me up these days that I would love to work on more. I think in general, what's, what I'm most passionate about currently is just the political polarization of the entire country and the world in general, and and being the political nerd that I am, I get really interested and invested in in political situations and in, in political news, and perhaps sometimes too invested, but, but I feel that in general, I personally am very much in favor of there being more 
youth and young adult um, involvement and teenager involvement in politics. I feel like currently lots of, of teenagers and young adults think that politics is something totally removed from them. What can they do? They're but a peon in the political system and and that they what can they do that they can't do anything and I feel that if all of those people who feel like they can't do anything stand up and do something change could happen and that 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 things could could be done I think what I will choose to say kind of connects political polarization and mass incarceration and it's something I learned about in like a day-long UC Berkeley splash. It was a weird program and it was like an hour-long session taught by UC Berkeley students. Anyways, they were, it was a sociology um, concept called fundamental attribution error and what it means or how it manifests is when someone attributes someone's actions to their character and not their circumstance. And I think that um, I guess something I'm passionate about is kind of changing the political landscape into kind of realizing that people's actions are not born of, or negative actions that may lead to criminalization or incarceration are not because they wanted to do that thing or they chose to do that thing, but that it has so, so much more to do with um, the socioeconomic background they were born into or the privilege that they did or didn't have. Um, and reframing crime and um, conflict into we are just all in such different <laughs> environments and what we do and how we think is completely born of that. And if we can see people who are in prison as people who are in, might be just like us and we're just in different circumstances and that their life just turned out differently simply because of what, what they were born into, um, that that would completely kind of change polarization. We wouldn't see each other as so different. We're not so different. We're very similar. It's just who we're surrounded by and what opportunities we do or don't have. And I think that ties back to fundamental attribution error. And I'm also very emotionally in tune to other people. I am constantly thinking, ever since I've been little, I'm constantly thinking, very in tune to other people's emotions, and I'm thinking, is this person mad at me? What is this person thinking about me? How is this person seeing me? Am I, am I presenting myself in a good way? Am I, what could I be doing better to, 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 to present myself in a more, in a more positive light? And, and, like the, the primary example, um, that we talk about in my family is that when I was little, I'd be in a stroller, and we'd have to cross the road, and there'd be there might be cars coming, whatever, and we'd have to cross the road, and I'd constantly be saying, "Mommy, why are you running? Why are you running? Why are you running?" That I was constantly very, very just just sensitive to, to think the things happening around me, and, and to the the emotions of the people around me, and I still I still am, and and that that. I'm almost more invested in other people's emotions than I am my own because I am worried about what that person is thinking about me or more than what I'm thinking about my own emotions. Do you ever have trouble figuring out if it is your emotion or someone else's? 
it, sometimes, though, I think I have, at least in my brain, I can organize my emotions in a way that I can keep my own emotions separate from the emotions I'm feeling from other people, and the, the, the emotional circumstances of, be it my family or friends, and can, can in sometimes be, I can sometimes help more in resolving and regulating the emotional situations of other people rather than my own. Um, I could definitely relate to you, Micah. I think um, other people's emotions take up a lot of space in my life. Um, and yeah, it can be hard for sure. Although it can also be a blessing because I can help them work through them sometimes. Um, but I think I'm working on, yeah, kind of having stronger force field barriers around myself so that I'm aware of when those are coming in and I can control it a little more. I find myself trying to regulate other people's emotions through being like the devil's advocate. Um, I think, I think we both probably kind of have this like a fear of, or I'll speak for myself. I kind of have like a fear of, um, people not seeing eye to eye and like there being unnecessary conflict and unproductive conflict and disagreement. And so when someone around me is sharing an opinion or an emotion, often negatively, like I'll kind of play the devil's advocate and be like, defend whoever they're <clears throat> like disagreeing with or just try and have them see the other side, even when it's unnecessary and unhelpful and people just want to vent or whatever. Um, I really feel strongly that people empathize with each other. So I think that's kind of where I get confused with like, sometimes I forget what, which, which way I agree with because I just want people to um, stand in each other's shoes. Um, so I'll like, even if I agree with whoever is speaking, I will still like <laughs> try and hold the other point of view just for empathy's sake. So it kind of, I get confused with what, what I actually think um, beyond the desire for people to understand one another. So sometimes I get lost in that just because I want people to empathize. With the ultimate goal that you want people to have harmony. Yeah, I think so. I think there, with polarization and growing up in this political climate, um, it is, I think it's, mind-blowing to me that there is such disagreement um, and that everyone feels so strong in what they believe and how can that be if there's so such separate views um, and kind of combating that by trying to have everyone at least think of the other side and try and see the other side even in small <laughs> insignificant um, interactions or whatever I think that's powerful to be able to hold both views in your own head and I mean maybe not maybe it's not the time and place all the time but to be able to help others see that I think is a gift. If it's not overdone. Yeah, if you can keep yourself or keep returning to yourself. Mm -hmm. And let people just feel how they feel and not always mm -hmm. try and have them see the other side when they it's not the space or the time or they don't have the capacity.
it's very bad. Emotional intelligence, like Micah was saying, of mm-hmm. sussing out when the when it is the time and when it's the time to just listen. Something that sticks out to me about explicit um, teachings about emotions uh, is the "Free to Be You and Me" album. Yes, which we grew up listening to on record. I did at too. My grandma's house, <laughs> which yeah, I'm sure it's the same messaging. Yeah, not um, necessarily of our era. But not really, but up with it. just the, it's all right to cry, which is probably mm-hmm. significant to me too, um, and as outdated as it now can be in some some ways um that was that stuck with me and we also went to we have this camp it's not really camp it's like a program that fourth graders go to called mosaic and it's social emotional um learning for fourth graders um, and social justice diversity about diversity and Mm -hmm. conflict resolution um so that was the most probably explicit curriculum that um i was taught and both of us went back as cabin leaders so we're at least for me i did it this past spring and it's very fresh mm-hmm. um the mosaic stands for mutual respect open-mindedness self-respect attitude positive positive attitude <laughs> individuality and community awesome. and then you learn the five tools for conflict resolution and the keys to peace and the peace blockers and so and is that through the public schools um, it's a separate program, but schools, public schools, private schools, they kind of just try and incorporate like three fourth grade classes and from different backgrounds, from different schools and different neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So part of it is meeting people who you wouldn't have otherwise met from different yeah. parts of the city of Oakland and the greater Bay Area um, while while learning this explicit curriculum. So it's, it's powerful, it's emotional, um, and it's hard for fourth graders, but I think it's really important. And going back as a 17-year-old was super <laughs> useful and great and mm-hmm. refreshing also. So it's good to be reminded of it even now. Yeah. What else? Having shared a very similar educational experience Yeah, it's with interesting. Fiona. I mean, our school um, was a charter school with a very, you know, we had a peace bench to solve our conflicts together. And it was a very, um, I don't know, liberal conflict the education um and yeah i still ended up repressing my emotions <laughs> i don't know and being conflict avoidant in many ways i think you are too i don't know i definitely was um not with each other though we fight all the time yeah not with each other not with each other um so i don't know i feel like that's kind of a disconnect between what i was taught and what i ended up pulling out of it which is interesting yeah. to think about that is feel, interesting. I feel like we, I got in many ways the the most pro emotions, pro conflict education, and I didn't necessarily end up internally like resonating with that. So, yeah. And then I've had to reteach myself. Mm-hmm. Hmm. How about you? I can present a viewpoint coming from a generally much more conservative area of Virginia and a generally much more conservative school system in which, though not necessarily sanctioned by the school itself, many of the students will ha- would have grown, and during the time that I was, was going to public school, I'm currently homeschooled, but during the time that I was going to public school, up until third grade, many of the students 
would have been taught at home. Though I don't want to generalize, but many of the students would probably have been in their homes been told, don't show emotion. You need to be strong. You need to be be not show emotion. Don't let them see you cry. Um, don't let them know that you have emotions. You need to be strong, tough. Um, and and I think that that it's important that for educational systems and schools to to counterbalance for for students who may have in their home lives been told that it's not okay to have emotions, that it's okay to have emotions, and also I think important to say, to say that it's okay to have emotions when you don't know what those emotions are, mm. when you're just feeling everything all at once, and and it's okay to feel that. And I was, it was shortly before I left, um, third grade that we got a bench in the playground that was the the conflict resolution bench and and it was quite a a, a momentous occasion getting this this <laughs> this bench on, on the side of the playground to as the conflict resolution bench and and I think just in general um children who have grown up in households in which they're taught from a very early age to not show emotions then in social situations um, with their peers of their own age, they may say, like, if, if they're playing with another ch kid and um, he starts crying or something, they could start making fun of that kid or, or just think that that kid, like, what's wrong with him because he's, he's crying, that, he, that, that, that they don't have experience with that. And whether it be that they make fun of them for crying or for showing emotion or that they just don't know, think what's wrong, what's, what, what is, why is this person, person crying, why are they, are they showing emotion, because they may not have had experience at home with, with showing that type of emotion. Adding on, I think a lot of times in households where emotion is not sanctioned or, um, shown at all the one emotion that can be shown is anger um so if you're not if if in a situation where maybe someone would normally feel sad the only emotion i think especially um this is taught to young boys and men is that they can be angry and that's the only masculine emotion is to be angry um so i think that emotional learning and openness can keep us from an angry or violent, less less angry, less violent kind of society. And and I think often that that anger is especially taught to, to express that anger in in like forceful ways, to be tough, to, mm -hmm. to fight. And I think it's important that that for both the emotional the emotional regulation of, of students and younger students who, when they're in a school situation in which physical fighting is, is definitely not condoned, though at home, when they've been taught at home, if someone is doing something you don't agree with, you, like, fight with them, you, like, physically fight with them, I think it's important that it's taught that there are other ways to resolve conflicts and other ways to express your own emotions than, rather than just welling up all the emotions and that converting into strength and just brute force of trying to physically fight with 
with someone. Mm-hmm. With my growing up, I did not have the the. I mean, obviously, I wasn't told like you can only be angry, you can only be sad, um, or especially like boys are only angry, or whatever. But I had the the experience of having a younger sibling who has some emotional regulation problems, and also at the time, like when um, she was little, my sister when she was little had was definitely not the easiest child to to live with, and and so there were times when huh. when you, you I would see her being angry and. And I, at that time, thought that's the only way she expresses emotion is through being angry and through throwing tantrums, throwing fits, having, just yelling and screaming. And so that was sort of my, my experience with, with, I certainly didn't have the, the familiar experience. I didn't have a, a sibling or sister who was only ever like like sad or whatever mm-hmm. as like the only emotion certainly not there was always sort of like an anger uh, uh i didn't have the the complex should i say of thinking that that there's certain emotions expressed by certain people mm-hmm. well and i wonder too especially having um i mean i know that i kind of do the opposite of my sibling so i wonder if having um like kind of a someone who is more often angry would mean that you're less often exp- like expressively angry or you kind of I am not as nearly as often expressively angry and I think I express my anger in different ways and especially emotions wise I am not I'm much more of a calm person I would say than my sibling mm-hmm. that that I can calmly express my emotions and this is just a, a baseline emotional makeup, the emotional makeup of both of us. In contrast, (laughs) I get angry pretty easily. And it's not, I don't think that my relation, like personal relationships I have make me angry very often. I think I'm very avoidant in conflict in people that I genuinely like have built relationships with. But like small things, especially around gender dynamics, really get my goat. And I think, I don't think I ever, I think I was always good at being angry. <laughs> like, I don't think that, I guess I just wasn't, I didn't, I don't know why at all, honestly. I don't, because I don't think me and my sister are the same, but like, I never really just would turn to sadness as much. I think I was, I'm, I don't know why. It could just be some element of who we are inside as people, our souls. Yeah, but I think I'm, I mean, at least, yeah, I think I'm the one who's much more easily angered. (laughs) Like, it's kind of meant that I have kind of more an assertive, aggressive, assertive to aggressive personality, and I'm kind of confrontational in with people I don't know <laughs> and not like I start fights necessarily but like if, like if someone says something I don't like like you I'm just gonna call them out and like I think that I kind of do it knowing that other women aren't comfortable doing it I kind of take it on as my duty as because I am comfortable confronting stuff like that um 
sometimes I think it's like a mentality of like, well, if I don't do it, no one will, because it is uncomfortable. Some I, I'm comfortable. <laughs> Usually, I'm comfortable making other people uncomfortable if it's something that I think is important or I care about. Um, so sometimes I think I overdo it because I do feel a sense of like duty. Um, but I think Did I, I hear you right that you said, especially with people you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, if I, if I have some sort of relationship with someone, it's someone that I see a lot or whatever, it's less comfortable to call out something because it'll be an ongoing dynamic of like, she called me out once, like, I'm afraid of her, she's going to cancel me or something, you know, like, if it's something, anyways, um, but then if it's, yeah, someone who, I don't know their name, like, I don't think I'll see them again. Like male strangers making inappropriate comments. Yeah. That I would, I would just smile and laugh and see and I'll call them out. Yeah. I don't which smile I, and I don't laugh. Which, uh-huh. within, as long as you're doing it because you have the resources inside of you and not through some obligation, I love. I feel like I get to live vicariously through your anger. <laughs> well, that brings us to catharsis. And I'm curious for Micah mm-hmm. and for Clara, who each have a sibling who's more capable of going to anger. Do you ever feel like within your family it's cathartic, even for you personally? to have someone who can express the anger. Totally. I think so. Um, just because it feels like uh, like a consequence for people who, I don't know, for bad things happening in the world, there's some consequence if she's around, <laughs> and there's maybe no consequence if I'm not around. And it can feel bad um, if, I don't know what the word is, but if something bad is happening and I don't do anything about it, it feels horrible. I sort of in my familial dynamic the anger that is expressed by my sibling is usually not an anger that is to benefit like what you were talking about that like standing up this is in general I think just anger with her personality she could as an adult and as she gets older definitely channel her her emotions and her anger to do good like um We've always said that she would make an amazing lawyer because she loves to argue. Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel like you can't fully feel or tap into or express your emotions because she's taking up too much emotional space in the family or something? Perhaps. Though I am definitely more a subdued person emotionally. Yeah. I'm not the one to, if anything happens, immediately start yelling, screaming, crying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will try to personally emotionally regulate before I more openly converse or try to openly express my feelings. We learned so much in our families. This conversation took place at the Church of the Brethren's denominational-wide family camp called Song and Story Fest. This week we are at Song and Story Fest at Camp Peaceful Pines in California. Um, We are three people who have been coming for almost all of our lives every summer i've known micah for a very very long time i have been coming <laughs> every summer except i've missed only one no two since i was a month old when <laughs> i came here for the first time and i remember when you were a month old <laughs> <laughs> and we all spend a week together out in the woods at a brethren camp we move camps every summer um listening to songs and stories doing workshops swimming in the creek eating together 
all-around good vibes. A very intergenerational. In fact, people might find it cathartic <laughs> to come to Song and Story Fest. Ooh, they might. And be with wonderful people who want the world to be a better place and want to be part of an Aikina, so. You really and should come. Deep conversations. We do old friends it. and making new friends. And connecting and fueling our all the hard work everyone does all year. You should come. You should. If you want to have conversations. Like the one we just had. <laughs> and hear songs and stories. See you next year at Song and Story Fest. We'll be in Michigan next summer. <laughs>
breathing meditation and just being validated by other people's emotions as well and hearing from them, I'm able to process. It's also long talks with friends and FaceTime calls with family where we create these spaces of vulnerability, where this is where the process of catharsis begins. I wonder what it looks like for us as a church, as a praying community, as a radical community of loving young people, what it would look like for us to be together and be vulnerable and build this catharsis as a communal process. Annalisa, Micah, Clara, and Fiona did an incredible job of being open and vulnerable with one another. And I wonder how we can echo this in our own spaces, in our own congregations, in our own communities, what it looks like for us to do this in relationship with others. Keep this in mind as we continue on talking about catharsis and what this means for us as radical believers in Christ and young people, but people of all ages, and how we connect with one another. Thank you for listening. The Dunker Punks podcast is a place for us to be vulnerable and begin this process of catharsis together in relationship with one another. I am your host, Alyssa Parker. This audio was contributed by Annalisa Gross, and Tyler North edited this episode. Jacob Krauss creates our music, and Ryan Domer manages production and communications. Wichita First Church of the Brethren, Long Green Valley Church of the Brethren, Living Stream Church of the Brethren, Warrensburg Church of the Brethren, Beacon Heights Church of the Brethren, Arlington Church of the Brethren, and Honor Peace sponsor the show. Our home brick-and-mortar churches are all about faith formation. It's important what youth have to say about following Jesus. Congregations can support youth by being part of a platform on which they can speak up. Amplify young voices of faith and give them opportunities to start conversations and make connections with their topics. Email us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org for more details to become a sponsor of Dunker Punk's podcast. If this episode of Dunker Punk's podcast was meaningful or inspiring to you, we would love to hear from you. Send your comments or favorite show quotes to us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org or engage with us on social media. That's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest at Dunker Punk's pod on all of those platforms. We would love if you created some show art inspired by something said from this episode um, or your own faith journey. We would love to share it on our socials as well. If you have any great ideas on audio contribution related around our theme of catharsis, we would love you to host or contribute some audio for Dunker Punk's podcast. Uh, For more information, just send us an email. For more information on Dunker Punk's podcast and more opportunities to engage, you can always check out our website for more information. That website is www.arlingtoncob.org/dpp. 
Again, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Duckerpunks, and until next time.